Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello and welcome to a very special Between Takes episode of Missing Frames. This is the podcast on the Nerd Party Network where we usually watch all the movies we should have seen by this point in our lives, but uh, we've already seen these movies and we're just going to talk about how much we love them. And to do so, I've brought along Mr. Aaron Prescott from the Rest in Pictures podcast. Aaron, thank you so much for being here. Ho, ho, ho. Thank you for having me on this festive uh, event. Uh, getting now, to I, see uh, one of the best Christmas movies ever. It's absolutely a Christmas movie. I was going to ask with that ho, 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 are you telling me you have a machine gun? Uh, I am. I may be. Pa- no, I am not packing. Uh, you probably should not be packing. No. Not while we're, we're and you know what? Anyone listening to this should not be packing. I know we're talking about Die Hard, but, you know, the enthusiasm can go a little too far. Leave it uh, to John McClane. Hope- Okay, <laughs> let's let's not forget this is a Christmas movie yeah. as well, and yeah. uh, we're not only here to talk about Die Hard, the entire Die Hard franchise, but we're here to put that argument to rest once and for all. I mean, Aaron, you can agree this is a Christmas movie, correct? Absolutely. It it, it it's funny. So we we both met in our uh, uh, the film club that I had going on at uh, the Alamo Draft House in in Ashburn. Yes, and. I feel like every year during Christmas, it comes up it, like somebody and it, it's usually somebody trying to like start an argument. It's like, here's a Facebook post, either pro or anti Die Hard being a Christmas movie. And it, it probably gets the most like communication between the, the entire film club out of any post that we do all year. And it's it, it just has that sort of like fervent energy of like, you know, people. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure what what the real dislike is of having a a christmas movie that is this amazing uh but you know it 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 gets under people's skin somehow i don't understand to me there is no debate like it's a christmas movie it's a christmas movie that's like the debate at all that it exists at all is just it feels like there's something broken inside some people and the only way they can choose to express it is to try to tear down a, a perfect holiday concoction it's such true. as this. It's true. And, and ruin everything. But, I mean, we're here to definitively state that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. That's why we're re-watching the entire series for Christmas to celebrate the holiday. And uh, this is something we started with your partner in crime, Brad Gullickson, who is also on the Rest in Pictures podcast. And we we started this with, we watched the uh, the Batman movies, the, the Burton and Schumacher era. And then we watched all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies for Halloween. And uh, unfortunately, Brad could not be here for this episode. Uh, I, uh, I don't want to go so far as to call him a slacker but oh, i would I, uh, no i would uh i mean yeah. that's, that's usually what a regular episode of rest in pictures is is 
uh, me calling Brad a slacker and him having to defend himself poorly. And, uh, you know, it just comes out. Uh, we, we barely make it to the next episode uh, every time. That's um, what uh, that's what makes the, the podcast such a joy to listen to. Just a real is... firecracker every episode. Yeah. <laughs> I would. Um, would you go so far as to call him maybe the, the Harry Ellis of the podcasting world? Uh, I, I wish I thought of that earlier. Uh, th- there's no better description than than the uh, the Harry Ellis of podcasting. Yeah, yeah. Let's go with that. He's also called me like uh, booby before. I don't know why. He just he just does, and Aaron, I, I don't I don't approve booby. of it. Booby. Yeah. That sounds like something Brad would say. It um, is. But uh, we, the spirit of Brad will hang all over this episode. We're we're sorry he can't be here, but it just makes it that much more wonderful that we can. Uh, make fun of him without i just love that he can't defend himself (laughs) so uh die hard this is this is such a fascinating franchise it's been going on for since 1988 and uh very unceremoniously came to a conclusion in 2013 with the fifth entry a good day to die hard but um, who knows if that's the end Okay. I, who knows? I can only hope. I can. I can. <laughs> I don't want to spoil my reaction, and I don't want to ruin the Christmas spirit right sure. from the get go. But sure. um, let, let's let, let me ask you this: Do you remember the first time you saw the original Die Hard, Aaron? I I honestly don't. It, it feels like one of those. It feels like Star Wars. It feels like one of those movies that's just kind of like lived with me forever. Yeah. Uh, I I remember just like repetitively. Uh, uh, watching this all the time on on VHS, and uh, I, I honestly watching it way too young. Like that just feels yeah. Like <laughs> I, I I don't know why my parents would have allowed this. Maybe they didn't. Maybe this was me sneaking uh an R rated movie under them. But but yeah, I, it, it's it's kind of always been there. Yeah, I uh, it was kind of the same way for me. Although I do remember, I mean. I, this is absolutely a, mo- a movie I saw uh, probably at too young an age. I was about 12, 13. I don't know. Maybe that's right about the perfect age to see Die Hard. But I was uh, I was and still am uh, a, very, a very sensitive young man, um, more so than to the point where uh, R-rated movies really freaked me out. Yeah. Um, it got to the point where it was like my parents were actually saying like, no, 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 you can watch this R-rated <laughs> movie if you want. And I was like, uh, no, I, no, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, <laughs> so responsible of you. I know. It was, it was worse because my brother, who's only a year and a half younger than me, but when you're that age, that feels like a huge gap. Like, I'm, uh-huh. I'm the older brother. I'm the more uh, worldly and advanced and mature one. Um, but he was just, like, already watching all this stuff. And he had seen Die Hard, I'm pretty sure, before I did. And I was kind of like, oh, my God, my, my, my little brother is even watching this, and I'm too scared to. And I think what happened was... And again, this fur- this just further reinforces why this is a Christmas movie. But my brother asked for the trilogy set on VHS. This is back when when Die Hard was just a trilogy, and it was a, it was a, a Christmas present he wanted, and he got it. And we were at my my grandparents' house, and it was just one of those moments where I think all our cousins were there, my uncles, my grandpa, and it was like all the guys are going to sit down and watch Die Hard. And I was like, oh god, if I don't do this now, I'm really like trading in my any semblance of masculinity or or manliness it was just like one of those moments where i was like i have to watch this Mm -hmm. i i I can't all my cousins are here they're older than me i want to look cool and i finally watched it and it just completely blew me away like i was just so in awe 
of that movie. But that is to say Die Hard has that same lasting power and that same kind of like, I, I feel like this is still a, one of those movies that I feel like I grew up watching. Oh, like sure. Star Wars. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's funny because, I mean, it, and it's it's transitioned into adulthood in such a bizarre way because it really like, you know, you have a lot of those films where it's like it's it's really cool and big and boisterous as a as a little as you know a young kid and like especially as a young boy growing up and like you know guns and explosions and there's you know there's a pair of boobs in there and it's like it's everything a young boy needs to grow up Um, (laughs) but you know when when it matures into adulthood you know this is this is the one movie that my wife and I agree on. Uh, we are oh, polar wow. opposite people. My wife is the mature, responsible, you know, uh, brilliant one, and I'm she's the she's the Holly Gennaro to your John McClane. Essentially, this is not even like that's not even a lie. This is a hundred percent. And so it, it's funny because so we're polar opposites in a way where she doesn't like having her heart rate elevate outside of working out. She doesn't like having her heart rate elevated. In right. any way, horror, right. suspense, thriller, anything like that, it's like, keep that away from me. So when it comes to those kind of movies, she stays away. This was kind of early on in our relationship, and we, I was like, hey, it's Christmas time. I always watch Die Hard. You want to watch Die Hard with me? That's not really her kind of movie. You know, hers is more like, let's watch The Notebook instead, or right. let's watch uh, eight uh, Hallmark original movies uh, in the meantime. And <laughs> I, 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 so I, I pushed this on her, and she accepted. And it's been one of those where, like, Every Christmas, we both get equally excited to sit on the sofa and watch Die Hard, and she loves it. And and that doesn't oh, say wow. something about this movie, where somebody who is not a fervent like action head that uh, loves you know this style of of filmmaking and and this genre, I don't know what 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 does what can sell you on this movie. It is perfect for everybody. See that to me is. Further proof that it is it is the magic of Christmas. Magic of Christmas, is, absolutely. That is it, it is just instilled. It's it, it's part of this movie's DNA. Further proof. That's it. We we are proving definitively that this is the case because a movie. I don't think it could do that without that magic. Yeah. To be completely honest, Aaron, I think this is uh, just something else that we can check off the list of things that prove this is a Christmas movie. Um, I, uh, I I think that's fantastic. Yeah, this is it, it's funny. I have other like I have a fa- my my stepmother Mary. She is the same way. Doesn't like action movies. Doesn't like violence. Doesn't like anything. But I think it's Bruce Willis gives uh, this movie a pass for her. She for okay. some reason loves Die Hard because she's like I love Bruce Willis, so therefore this movie is okay. There but, we go. Um, I think. I, I agree. As a kid, you kind of embrace all the violence as like, yes, this is such a crazy movie and I love it. And it isn't until uh, I, I started, you know, as I started to grow up and started to watch it more and more. And I just realized like, this is such a, the same way you kind of start to look at other movies with an analytical eye and say like, why does this movie work? Like what makes these, these characters so lovable? What makes the story so engaging? Die Hard is one of those movies like back to the future or, or the original star Wars where you just have this like perfectly structured movie that is so creative and so inventive and takes a lot of old ideas and instills them with this energy and enthusiasm and it just results in this perfect concoction where everything seems to be firing 
oh yeah all cylinders yeah and that to me is and especially with this recent rewatch that's what stood out the most to me is is this was a movie i think they rushed into production they i I was reading that they needed uh a movie for uh fox needed a movie for their summer 88 slate and they were just like some this the guy who wrote the movie who um whose name escapes me it it was uh jeb stewart Uh, steve steve d'souza he did so d'souza wrote uh uh, he rewrote the draft but it was originally jeb stewart who had written a draft of the movie it was an adaptation of of a book which i completely forget about called nothing lasts forever which had a lot of similar elements like a gruff cop trapped in a building um but it was a little more grim and uh a, a little less fun and Jeb Stewart basically wrote the script and they just were like immediately like, yep, that sounds good. We'll do that. And rushed it into production. And Steven D'Souza, he came in and he did his rewrite. Which it, it's funny because it was rushed, but also it was something that was kind of like tortured in uh, kind of development hell for like such a long time. Because uh, like you said, it, it was originally a, a, a sequel to, to a book, but it, it was a sequel to um, th- that book was made into uh, a movie that starred frank sinatra that's um, right and so contracted uh within his contract he was actually offered or he they were forced to offer him the role to this movie sinatra the sinatra oh my god can you imagine what this this movie in his 70s can you imagine a 70 year old frank sinatra uh doing uh his best bruce willis I, I can't, and yeah. I don't want to imagine it. And so that's when it evolved. That's when Steve D'Souza kind of came in and reworked it. And I remember a, a long time ago that this was actually supposed to be, uh, he formed it into a Commando sequel. And because Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> was attached at one point. I, I also, I read conflicting reports that that w- wasn't true, but I, I was almost positive I listened to a, a podcast with Steve D'Souza where he specifically talked about that. But so I don't know if that's true or not, but that's kind oh of like a, 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 that's such a great storyline to go from a Frank Sinatra vehicle to a commando sequel with Arnold Schwarzenegger. But Schwarzenegger didn't want to take it on because he wanted to start doing more comedy to start like flex different muscles. Uh, and and you know, as, as we, as we all know that, uh, that worked out really well. It also resulted in one of the other best Christmas movies ever jingle all the way. Well, um, yeah, it, everybody it, well, wins. He, he, he started, he started with twins and that eventually led us to jingle all the way. I, I agree. I agree with you. Um, <laughs> but it's so, amazing. Yeah, it, that is amazing that the movie, like you said, like this is, this movie had a lot of different lives in uh, in in pre-production. And yeah. Trying to get it to to well, just trying to get it to pr- the pre-production phase. Yeah. And the fact that it was just, it seems like a recipe for disaster. Rush the movie out. Let's just put all these elements together. We'll cast Bruce Willis, who's not a big star. They were looking at, I think, like Richard Gere. They originally oh, they, they looked at the everybody. Top guy. Everybody. Like everybody. Uh, yeah, Stallone, Richard Gear, uh, I think Ford. Stallone was in there. Uh, I think Dustin Hoffman was. I mean, they literally went through everybody and eventually landed. Uh, I, I think kind of like to their what they thought was to their detriment, uh, or you know, kind of like this is our last kind of option. He's a nobody. He's only known for like uh, this uh, kind of comedic role on a on a TV. Uh, series and right. that's it and uh I, I believe he actually originally turned it down but because um his co-star uh was pregnant at the time that stopped production 
and right. uh, Civil he was Shepherd. able to, to go off and do it. Yeah, that is just like what the miracle of Christmas working in this movie's favor to yeah, make it happen. Do you think we would have gotten the same Bruce Willis now? Uh, that if if he didn't get Die Hard, I mean, this seems oh, like hell no, yeah, hell no. I I yeah. I mean, this the the movie is so, and I think it was uh, I don't remember if it was McTiernan, the director, or somebody else, um, who said like the the second. I think it was it might have been actually the screenwriter, either Jeb Stewart or Stephen D'Souza who uh said like they met bruce willis and it was just a revelation it was like yeah. oh my god john mcclain like that's john mcclain like this yeah. is who it is and it's just that like that swagger that attitude but unlike the action heroes of the day like because lethal weapon had just come out which had kind of embraced a little bit more of a humanistic humor driven uh cop film which i guess you could say like there was 48 hours there was beverly hills cop and lethal weapon was kind of in that territory but like die hard has this sort of down to earth like it working blue collar guy trapped in this insurmountable situation it's not a situation where it's like the action hero like rambo or or like you know arnold schwarzenegger who can just work his way out of any situation willis just has that swagger where you like totally believe this guy is a cop, but also like, like that he can pull off all the stuff he does, but you also like fear for him, and you're like, oh god, I don't know if this guy's gonna make it. Oh yeah, I, when, when you and have... that's what he, but he uses that. That's kind of what his his thing. That's his kind of shtick, really. Oh yeah, when when you have Arnold or when you have Stallone in a role like that or whatever role they're in, they feel impenetrable they feel like bullets just like bounce off of their bulging <laughs> muscles like yes. it doesn't matter how many times you take a shot at these guys they're going to make it through like but when, when you have a guy and his you know his major weakness in the movie is is glass you know yeah. it's like Bare wow feet, that's that's wife beater yeah just a, a wife beater and shards of glass and you're like this is this is pretty pretty amazing um but yeah no i i i, I love this movie i guess we've kind of already started to get into it but um like it's it like every part of this movie just kind of hits every right note like when i was watching it with the wife this time i was you know really kind of focused on you know kind of oh what can we talk about you know on the podcast for this one and i literally was just like watching every little thing every single shot means something there's not a wasted shot anywhere the the smallest moment from like uh the uh, at the, the the party where they they give her the the Rolex and that pays off at the very last scene. Oh my god! Just, I know. Just everything. It's it's so like take away any one scene and it means something. You know, it just, it's, it's it, crazy. Watching it again reminded me how important it is to have such to have a, a character you care about at the oh, center yeah. of a movie like this. And beyond that, the importance of filling or surrounding that character with lovable either characters you love to hate or just characters you love to love. Like oh, com- th- this yeah. movie is full of the most endearing characters. I would argue uh, you could probably make an argument that this movie has the most endearing cast of characters of maybe any action movie. Yeah. Like just any straight action movie. That's what impressed me the most watching it again is just the efficiency of the storytelling. Like you're saying from the get go, we get a really good feel of who McLean is and it's the performances too, but it's the writing. I love the exchange between him and this random guy on the airplane where it's like, Oh yeah, but make balls with your feet and that'll help you out. And, and then again, that pays off just a couple scenes later. That doesn't have to pay off, but it does. And it just kind of 
humanizes McLean's character. You get to have him meet Argyle and sitting in the front of the limo. What a brilliant, brilliant visual gag. I mean, and how many how many movies are we are we remembering the name of the limo driver? Yes. He doesn't have that big of a part, but there's something about Argyle where it just feels it feels real, you know? It feels like just one of the, the like lead actors in the movie i mean he is barely in the movie and doesn't really do anything but he's so charming and he's so lovable and you just the 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 i think that was mctiernan's goal he wanted this movie to be so like filled to the brim with colorful characters that you just loved and he wanted it to be because originally it was going to be terrorists like the the, uh, gruber and his group were just going to be straight terrorists and mctiernan was like you can't make a movie about terror it's just like there's nothing fun about that like it's just terrorists are miserable so he wanted to make switch it to bank robbers but that kind of carried through through the rest of the movie where he's like how can i just fill this movie with so many delightful, colorful characters, but like and it works because it makes them so petty. Like they're just doing it. <laughs> oh, for money! They're 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 taking all these people hostage on Christmas Eve, killing just innocent for this. people. It's 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 great. And yeah. well, since we're since we're talking about, it, I mean, we talked about our main cast of well, we we talked at least about Bruce, but Bonnie Bedelia and Reginald Val Johnson kind of lead oh, out man. the the good guys. But the cast of bad guys is fantastic and. Knowing this is Alan Rickman's debut is mind-boggling. That is insane. I did not even realize that. I thought he'd maybe been in a couple other smaller things, but this was his film debut. He almost didn't want to do it because he was like, oh, what is this stupid action movie? And yeah. I, I think his uh, his agent or somebody was like, yeah, this doesn't happen. You don't move to LA and then get like, a major <laughs> role in like a week. Like, yeah. take it. You're yeah. doing this. Um, yeah. But this is, and this is kind of spoiling opinions of future movies there is no villain in the series better than gruber oh no ever the, and n- so much of it close. is alan I mean, rickman like uh, uh hans gruber is an all-time like baddie like when you when you make like a list of like the all-time bad guys uh in cinema history hans gruber is not even not just on the list he is up there near the top he is the list yes he is the list and um, it's and it comes from the again the writing but the sheer amount of charm that oh, yeah. he he is allowed to I I just his first I think his first spoken line just the, ladies and gentlemen mm-hmm. just the like the world weariness almost like he's just kind of like guys uh, just calm that like maybe it's because I've seen it so many times and I already know like I I love the guy but just the way he says it just immediately endears me to him like he's just kind of like uh, it's great it, it's also like you can tell how good the writing is because obviously Alan Rickman is just like such a a magnetic personality that you just want to watch whatever villainous thing he's doing. But the cast of characters that surrounds him, because we eventually find out that these are, you know, petty thieves. It, it's such like a, this crazy kind of international cast of characters. You have kind of like these, you know, two German brothers. You have this one guy that looks like Fabio. You've got, uh, <laughs> you've got the hacker guy. You've got um, the Asian guy played by Al Leong, which in any 80s movie if you needed like a uh an, an asian guy to to be your bad guy he was right. he was one of them right uh, you have the the main guy that's down in the uh taking care of the security desk who always thought i always thought was like huey lewis for like the longest time uh he just kind of looks like <laughs> he does look like huey lewis and it, but it's just like I, I i think we should also give credit to john mctiernan because it's set up where you know where everybody is at every moment and you 
like all the floors, I feel like we could map them out in our heads of like what floor uh, is being you know worked on, yes. where the where the the main office is, what's going on in the uh, on the rooftop, what's going on in the the basement. It like it just it's it's so well planned and thought out, and I think especially in some of the later movies, um, it really. Uh, shows just how hard it is to keep track of such like a um, a whole mess of yeah. you know action and adventure. Yeah, you lose the sense of space in the other movies that yeah. this this movie so efficiently provides. But it's also because Nakatomi Plaza is such an integral character in the oh, movie. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and it's what. You know, as the movies go on, they kind of lose the the feel for why Die Hard was so special. But the reason it was so special, like we said, you have this everyman way and way over his head, but also trapped in a single location fighting against the odds that are like stacked against him. And that really gave Die Hard such a unique spin and edge that I think kind of gets lost later on. But it's so crucial to why this first one works so well. Oh yeah. Just that sense of like claustrophobia, but also these like wide open spaces, just these, these unfinished floors. Like it's such an iconic look, but like you said, you always know where everything is. You always know where you are and you always know what's happening. Well, there's, there's one little instance where he's up and he, I think he's on like the floor that's right below the roof and he's, um, he's trying to figure out where he is. So he's about to go through the air duct. And so he sees the poster, of the naked chick yeah. and he kind of like taps it yeah. as to like, as to like, like, okay, that's, that's right here. A reminder he, to himself. Yeah. And then when he like, you know, has to, he goes on through and then he starts a gunfight and he comes back through. We know exactly where we are because yes. he's, we've already gotten that, that signifier. And it's just, it's, it's laid out so perfectly. Like the, I, that's why I love coming back to this movie because there's just, there's nothing wasted. And I feel like I pick up on something every single time of like some little intricate detail that's just uh, it's it's f- so much fun to watch. And McLean himself, like that, Willis brings that energy to it. That like sense of like when he comes by and he kind of like taps the he taps the poster, the way he kind of talks to himself and the, the energy of it is so endearing. Like you are just immediately like on this guy's side. You're like we're all in this together because he's true. He's expressing exactly what the audience is saying. Like it's he's just like what are you doing? Like John, what are you doing? Oh my God, you're so crazy! And it's just the sheer like there's no filter on what he says. He is just very very much like he's so human and yeah. it's so perfect. It just makes him so lovable. But you've also like. Die Hard, the first Die Hard, and none of the other movies really ever do this again. The first Die Hard has a place for his character to go. He has a character arc. There's oh, a yeah. story here. It, there's a there's an intimate emotional story, not just for him, but for for Powell, for everybody. They all get little arcs. And you have John, this guy who is coming to LA. He's come to see his wife. They're not doing well. The movie starts with this very, like, kind of, like, they're having this sort of petty argument, but you get such a rich sense of these people and what is happening between them. And the the fight for him and the the emotional beat that's paid off in the bathroom where he's basically like, I don't think I'm going to make it. He's pulling glass out of his feet. And we're so with him. But, like, 
it's so it's such a beautiful thing and you're fighting not just because you want him to survive but you want him to save his wife how many of these movies where it's like i have to save my daughter it's, and you're like you just care. kill kill the daughter yeah. kill the yeah. wife i don't care this movie makes everyone so it's so important that the performances are so good but it's like this movie takes great care in making sure that you care that you want him to succeed that at the end of the movie when there's a danger of his wife falling out the window you are feeling like you're on the edge of your seat like oh my god like get like you have to help her but um i think that speaks so much to uh to to bedelia's performance as it does to the the writing itself but that's what also just really endears me to this first movie is that sense of of emotional content it's about the relationships between these characters too like it's about the relationship it's like a there's a bromance here too between powell and mclean that is so touching and so moving i honestly get very like emotional at the end when they finally see each other if you're not tearing up by the end of this movie as soon as they hug when they make eye contact they don't have to say who is who if you're not tearing up you have no soul you have no heart you're not in the christmas spirit no wonder you don't think this is a christmas movie i was about to say just i don't even know if you're human okay <laughs> I, was, I was gonna say if you if you don't tear up at the end of this movie you're the type of person who doesn't think this is a christmas movie um heartless it is, it, it's beautiful, but I love I love that so much. That is something that is so people. I think when you look at the series as a whole, I think it's very important to look back on this first Die Hard movie and see that that emotional core is why this movie is so far above its sequels. And it's not oh, yeah. that the sequel. There are some sequels that are better than others, but sure. none of them reach the same peak because they just don't have anything to say. And Die Hard had a really special story to tell it's a lot like back to the future um back to the future had a story to tell it wasn't just about the time travel and the zaniness which back to the future part two really emphasizes it's about a kid who gets to see what his parents were like when they were kids and that heart is so important to why back to the future is so special i think the heart of die hard is the relationship between him and Powell. is the relationship between him and his wife and it really is why this movie beyond the excitement beyond the thrills which are all there it's why that movie is really kind of head and shoulders above the competition oh completely now we we only have four other movies to get through but before we move on (laughs) to to any others which i mean this should be where the bulk of the conversation should be happening because listen this is just a perfect movie it really Um, is but there's two two things i want to state First off, Jan de Bont shoots the hell out of this movie. Like, action movies oh don't God. deserve to look this good. No, I, I completely agree. The, the The look of the film, there's so much excitement. I was reading about how they kind of, like, they were talking about how you don't typically move the camera. And in terms of editing, you don't, like, cut from one movement to another shot that's moving. Uh-huh. But they do a lot of that in this movie. And the energy you feel, just the cinematography combined with the editing, the movie has such a unique look and feel. And it's so weird that like you spend a lot of time in these kind of cold sort of like these floors that are that are unfinished and you can kind of feel the chill. But at the same time, the, the movie has such a richness and a sense of color to it. And I, I just think about it in comparison to the fifth movie, which which has that sheen of like 
dull, saturated cinematography that hey, a lot of... Hey, don't spoil anything. Yeah, without spoiling anything. But it has that sheen of, like, modern action cinematography yeah. where you saturate the colors, you rob it of any richness, and you just look back on this movie, and it is so part of the, the fabric of the film, the, the beautiful cinematography and, and the way it just looks. It's it's so good. It just looks... It looks amazing. It looks beautiful. Um but the other thing I wanted to say before we moved on was uh, I, on my letterbox review, I've had this up for a couple of years now, are my uh, my 10 easy steps to realizing Die Hard is a Christmas movie. And yes. if, you'd, if, if, you'd, if you'd bear with me, I'd like to please uh, profess these 10 facts. I think there are people out in the world who need to hear this. So they need to hear this. Means. Okay. All right. Here we go. All right. Fact number one. The entire movie occurs not only at a Christmas party, but on Christmas Eve. When you hear... Mm. These little notes, like, they're actually on Christmas Eve. And so, you know, you couldn't get any more Christmas than that. Agreed. Uh, number two, the FBI presents Hans and Theo with a Christmas miracle. Okay? <laughs> number three, John's wife's name is Holly, not unlike the traditional holiday foliage. Am I correct? You're correct. Okay. Number four, at least three Christmas songs are sung and or played. Run DMC's Christmas and Hollis, Let It Snow, and Ode to Joy. That sounds pretty Christmassy to me. Oh, yeah. All right. Number five, Ho, Ho, Ho is both uttered and written. Uh, number six, John McClane uses proper and or improper use of Christmas wrapping tape, depending on your point of view. <laughs> number I'd say s- it's never been more appropriate since. Uh, agreed. Agreed. Uh, number seven, John McClane is a weary traveler from afar, much like Mary and Joseph. Oh, I like uh, that. Now, here's here's the thing. Uh, a pregnant woman is featured. There's, a, there's actually two pregnant women in here. But there is one pregnant woman who may or may not be immaculately conceived. Her The father's identity is unclear. Uh, <laughs> she is at the party. Could it be baby Jesus? We don't know. Okay? It, it's never definitively stated that it's, it's not. not stated. So it's not I stated. I think you can only assume. Yeah. Immaculate conception is still on the table. Number nine. Al is seen purchasing gifts for a pregnant woman right before he is summoned by a bright light in the sky. Uh. Could it be the star of Bethlehem or could it be gunfire? We don't know. But (laughs) can I also state this? The gifts he was buying does have a golden hue to it. It, Some people call it Twinkies, but uh, could they have been another color? He could have gotten a Ho-Ho. He could have gotten Ding Dongs. He didn't. He got Twinkie. I mean, the Twinkie is is absolutely a kingly gift for for a potential savior. So, yeah. It's true. Uh, And number 10, Carl, the the long-haired, blonde, bombshell, uh, you know, terrorist, he learns the true meaning of Christmas spirit is spending time with his family. Uh, When Tony (laughs) passes away, John takes, you know, Tony by the neck and wrestles him down a flight of stairs. Uh you know, that, that emptiness is, is felt. And he knows that all the untraceable bear bonds in the world just can't, uh, it, it, it can't make up for losing a loved one like That's that. True. That's true. How much guys, how much more Christmas do you need this movie? This to is, get? I mean, this is absurd. Th- that, that list again, this is to have to create a list in the first place. It's like, yes, p- this is fantastic and further proof, but come on people. Let's get with it. I, I don't I don't know I don't I don't know how, what else we can say, guys. No, I thank you for sharing that. I think again, I think people might need to hear that. But I'm You're happy welcome. It to just, have it, heard it. It really takes it out of me, you know, when <laughs> people just are, are uh, going to be as ignorant as that. 
what else can, what else is i mean there's so much this could be we could focus the entire podcast on this episode uh or on this movie and i i just just to finish it off i there's so much i love about this movie do you have a particular moment that stands out to you because i can't it's so hard to no pick. I, I, I honestly can't because literally while, I, while i'm you know we're my annual watch uh with the wife I'm quoting it the entire time. There's not a moment where I can't. <laughs> it's so uh, quotable. Well, that, that makes even more sense because, you know, uh, working when I was the creative manager at the Alamo, this was one of the go-to Christmas movie parties that I would throw, the quote-alongs. Everybody would get a Twinkie. Everybody would get a, a cap gun. And everybody would get a, get a lighter. Um and I had to convince my owners that uh, getting a lighter uh, was allowed even though it might not have been, but um, uh, we made it work. And we so, yeah, uh, people of Virginia were ecstatic and it, it's one of the most fun quote alongs to be a part of. Uh, yeah. I, there's, there, there is nothing else to say. No, this, this entire movie, all uh, 140 minutes, 130 minutes of it is. It's perfection. Perfect. And yeah. I, so there's one moment I want to point out that I don't know if enough people talk about, and I want to talk about it right now. Maybe one of my top, it's not even a real line, but I'm going to call it a real line of dialogue. One of my favorite, favorite moments in the entire movie is when uh, McLean gets caught by by Fabio and mm-hmm. um, he's got the gun in his face. He, he's like, he's like, I can't remember what his line is, but John's response is just, uh and then he and then they get into the fight. That is yeah. one of my favorite favorite moments yeah. in any movie ever. No, it's great. <laughs> it's so it's great. good. But uh but yeah, so I guess uh, a final rating for the first Die Hard. Um if, what do you think? We, we want to do Twinkies? Twinkies oh, as a rating system? It's everything a grown boy needs. That's exactly right. So on a scale of 1 to 5 Twinkies with 5 being the highest, how many Twinkies would you give Die Hard 1? 5. Give me, give me all five Twinkies. This all is five Twinkies all five for Twinkies. Die Hard. Let's let's give it to him. And you know, it's, Brad's not here, but do we want to just kind of guess what we think Brad's rating? He'd would probably be? go for like two and a half, two and a half Twinkies. I think like he it, would give it probably. Yeah, he'd probably not only think this isn't a Christmas movie, but he'd probably give it something pretty low. Yeah. Now I would say, I would say I think Brad would give it a five. I think he would too. Moving on to a movie, I don't know if any of us would give five stars to um, Die Hard Two. Um, Die Harder, which is maybe one of, maybe a fitting title. I was going to say one of the less creative titles in the world, but also a fitting title for this Mm -hmm. movie because it basically is just the same movie with a little bit more. Well, that, that, I mean, it's, it's almost the problem of what Die Hard not only did to itself, but did to the entire nineties. Like every elevator pitch in the 90s was die hard in a blank die hard right. on a this die hard in a that and this was die hard at an airport you know yep. it was they, they really you know they created such a an iconic um and really kind of like you know easy kind of premise take uh take some sort of you know hero and it could be like an everyman hero put him in a, an enclosed situation that he can't get out of uh, so you know, put him on a train, uh, put him in a a, a a hockey arena. You know, I mean, so many movies came from Die Hard. Pick any '90s action movie, and it's Die Hard onto this. Yeah, and this movie also, I didn't realize it came out just two years after the first one. Man, oh, yeah. that was a fast turnaround. Yep. And none other 
than our favorite director returning from the Nightmare on Elm Street series to to make the world a better place for Die Hard, uh, Rennie Harland. I, I say in. we just keep doing. We only do franchises where Rennie Harland directs a movie. I feel like that should be I when Brad and I come back to do this. this that is, should be the premise. This is a fantastic idea. Um, shockingly, so was this Rennie Harland's second movie or his third movie after his Nightmare on Elm Street Four? Yeah, so he did a movie called the adventures of Ford Fairlane, but then Die Hard oh, 2 yeah. was like his second real big movie. Yeah. And um, I have to say, if we're comparing this to the dream master, this is definitely a big leap forward for him from a technical standpoint. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 Cause it feels like, first of all, Die Hard 2 has a bad rep, maybe deservedly so, but I will say this Die Hard 2 is very much in the same uh, spirit of the first Die Hard probably because they stole a lot of the same plot beats and a lot of the same elements mm-hmm. but um it does feel like it it feels like die hard in a way i don't think many of the other sequels do um yeah that's that's correct at the same time die hard 2 also suffers from the fact that like you said it's an elevator pitch for any of the 90s action movies it's it, and even John says it in the movie where he's just like, "How can the same thing happen to the same guy twice?" That's yeah. basically Die Hard two in a nutshell. Yeah, this is. I, I actually think this is the movie where we would probably split off from Brad because I, I have I think a so feeling <laughs> that Brad is very pro Die Hard two. Like he I'm seems fine like with a it. Die Hard two apologetic if ever I've met. He one. really does. He really does. And I think you know probably a lot of it has to do with and and deservedly so a really great cast of bad guys in this one. Maybe too many bad guys, but <laughs> really great actors as those bad guys. You have William Sadler right off the bat doing naked yoga in oh a hotel God, room. Oh my God, I know. I mean, what else, what else do we need? Oh, well, we could use Franco Nero, uh, <laughs> you know, Django himself on a plane headed for America. Um, and then you also have uh, a baby Robert Patrick as one of the henchmen. Yes. Uh, you've got... Uh, who else was on there? Uh, John Leguizamo. He had a little bit part in there. Did he really? Um, oh my god! Yeah, th- th- there's there's a lot of like little guys that that fit into the into the little baddie roles. And, well, you know um, what? The, it's a great cast, but honestly, the bad guys in this movie they just pale. I mean, Gruber is such a high bar. Oh, I get oh it. completely. But like they these guys are kind of charmless. Like it's like an actor like William Sadler. Maybe let him have a little bit more fun with it. Like, he kind of hams it up a little bit. But for the most part, they're all kind of just, like, straight-laced and really dull. I don't yeah, know oh, if yeah. that I don't know if that was just something where they were like, well, McLean will bring all the laughs and the fun, so the bad guys need to be serious. But I feel like part of why Die Hard 2 suffers, not just because it's just trying to be Die Hard 1 but in an airport, but it's because it just, like, those bad guys just never compel or entertain in the same way that gruber does yeah absolutely i mean it's you know it's a it's a it's a carbon copy of its of itself and it, it doesn't it doesn't do a bad job it just doesn't it doesn't wow us in any way it doesn't you know it's no. not in a creative inventive level that that diehard was and um in, also you know what i i think another aspect of it is that john mcclane is in a better space a better headspace a better yeah. mindset he's you know he's back with his wife 
you know, things are nice. Of course, he doesn't get along with his mother-in-law, but who, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, be careful who listens to this. Exactly, exactly. But, um, you know, when, when he was, he, he had so much more flaws, which made him more human in the first one. And this one just kind of makes him like, oh, he's uh, course corrected everything and he's good to go. Yeah. Now he's just got to fight some bad guys. He's he's um, now, he's now like, <laughs> they do this in the first one, to be fair. Like, he's kind of the only guy who really understands what's going on. But it kind of makes sense in that movie. In Die Hard 2, for him to kind of like, everyone's like, look, McClane, we got this. And he's like, uh, I don't think so. How about this? It just felt a little ridiculous. Like, he's yeah. always the one who's always right. Like you said, he doesn't feel as fallible in this movie, which is part of what made the first one so great and this one he gets beat up he he has his fair share of like bruises but for the most part he kind of like it's it's starting to dip into that territory where it's like all right john mcclain is kind of just becoming an action hero Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um you still have the charm you still have the everyman vibe but it feels a little more put on and a little less natural than it did in the first one um but this movie's still got some good moments i like uh you've got the the iconic ejector seat moment oh yeah that shot where my wife who has has never seen die hard 2 i was like just watch this you've seen this bit and she was like oh my god yeah i didn't realize that was this movie and i'm like yeah that that's this movie um i i like the kind of zany action like it's very much like rennie harlan but not so ridiculously rennie harlan where it's like a pain to watch like it there sure. he's still got one foot kind of in the realm of die hard where he's trying to honor that film but it kind of you know it kicks up the action a little bit the violence is even more outlandish with like him stabbing a guy in the eye with an icicle like mm-hmm. a guy getting sucked into a jet uh a jet engine it's just like the, the movie is a little bit more like cranking up to 11 but the problem is die hard was great because it kind of while it was definitely outlandish it has some you know alan rickman does like to chew the scenery a little bit but not so ridiculously that it undermines the the sense that okay this is a guy in over his head it feels grounded in reality die hard 2 is taking a step outside of that and saying well we have to kind of make an action movie out of it so yeah yeah but that's kind of that's where i land in the spectrum of die hard 2 i actually i thought i i disliked this more than mm-hmm. I really did. I actually don't mind this movie. No, not at all. No, I, 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 I can still. I don't even want to say stomach. I, I, I still enjoy this movie. Usually, when you watch Die Hard two, it's because you just watched Die Hard one, and that's a huge problem. Because, yeah. like we said, we gave we gave Die Hard one five Twinkies. Yes, not every, not just any movie can get five Twinkies, and no. Die Hard two definitely does not get five no. Twinkies. But in terms of a, a rating scale, I just say Naked Yoga. Do we want to do naked yoga for Die Hard 2? Uh, are you asking me to do naked yoga right now? I think you should be doing naked. I've been okay. doing naked yoga this entire episode. But well, that's, I, um... that's, that's where I've been do- going wrong the whole time. Yeah, naked yoga works. Uh, I will give it three, uh, three naked William Sadler yogas. I, I'll give it three as well. I think yeah. I'm, I'm hovering between two and a half and three. But frankly, the movie isn't so painful to watch as... Uh, certain movies in this franchise what about brad sure. what do we think brad would give it uh i think he would legit give it a four i think so too that seems like a, a brad score if ever it i've does. heard one um yep. let's let's step into die hard with a vengeance shall we let's do it how do we feel about this die hard with a vengeance is interesting first of all because i think die hard 2 
is the last movie to kind of try to be a diehard movie and from this point uh-huh. on the series feels like and literally in diehard with a vengeance's case i don't know if this applies to the other movies but they all feel like movies where they just hijacked someone else's script and decided to make it a diehard movie. Uh huh. That's, and that's absolutely what they did with this one. There was a script I think called Simon says, and they decided to just, they're like, well, let's you know, we want to make some money. Let's turn this into a diehard movie and, uh, and make that happen. And, um, that is really what Die Hard with a Vengeance feels like. It feels like another movie that they took John McClane or some variation of John McClane and put him in the movie. And while I don't love it at the same time, I appreciate it for trying something different uh-huh. than really all the other movies. But um, where do you sit on the spectrum of Die Hard with a Vengeance? Die Hard with a Vengeance is great. This oh, is a wow, great okay. movie. Oh, this is so good. So what we have here is we have Bruce Willis back in, in full John McClane mode because he is now completely uh Bonnie Bedelia has moved on as she rightfully should. John McClane is a drunk. He's a no good dad. Uh you know, he's he's uh having to to shove down bottles of aspirin just to make it through the day. Uh he's put into a situation where uh you know, Hans Gruber's brother is now taking vengeance on this guy in order just to like, you know, cause a distraction and he teams up with Samuel Jackson and it could not be a better like buddy cop duo. Yes. Uh, for like a civilian to, to cop, uh, sort of mentality of like, uh, they, they hate each other and then they come to respect each other by the end and they have great chemistry. Like I really, really love die hard with a vengeance. I think it's a lot of fun and, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's all there is to it. It's great. I think their chemistry, I think the two of them are really what make the movie work. Absolutely. Because I, um, I I don't love Die Hard with a Vengeance, as I said. I, I am, but I do have a fondness for it and a respect for it. Because this is really, again, this is a franchise that from the get-go kind of painted itself into a corner. And Die Hard 2 was like, well, we could just make the same movie again. And Die Hard with a Vengeance, I have to admire them saying... Even though they had the script handed to them from a different movie, um, I do have. There's, there's. I, I think there's lots of movies that do that. It's what they do with it that makes it, um, you know, that 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 can turn it into something interesting. And I think True. by, you know, kind of using the kind of the influence of, you know, how we don't call, uh, you know, how we sorry, how we call Die Hard a Christmas movie because it takes place during Christmas time. They're like, you know what? Let's 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 get off the Christmas motif because we did that with Die Hard 2 and that really like, you know, highlighted the fact that, oh, we're just doing the same thing over again. Here's yeah. Here he is stuck at Christmas again with another issue. We're they, Now we're doing the 4th of July thing and we're going, you know, uh, taking the, the Federal Reserve of, of America and we're taking all this gold. Like that's, that was, you know, a lot of fun and I just love... Uh, the kind of down and dirty griminess of it. It's, you know, it's, it's still nineties New York. And uh, I, I love having McLean back on this coast. Well, he was in DC and the second one, but he's back in the, you know, in New York working proper. And uh, th- there's, there's just a lot of fun being had, especially be- with the two of them. And the kind of like snarkiness that they both, like they're both 
the bad cop, you know, like, yeah. the, you know, usually when there's like a buddy cop thing, you know, Danny Glover's the good cop and, and, uh, uh, what's his face is the, is the bad cop. Why did I just say, what's his face? Uh, <laughs> Who, that, that, what's his name? That, what's Jimmy, his name? Jimmy Gibson. I don't yeah, know. yeah, 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 yeah. That, that, that guy Gibson. That guy. Uh, and he's, he's the bad cop. And so like, there's, there's always this push and pull, but these guys are just constantly pushing against each other and against everybody else. And it's, it's really fun. Well, it's funny. Zeus is kind of the John McClane character in this movie in a way. He's sure. the guy who's like the fish out of water who has to kind of like make do and McLean is a little bit more seasoned, but he's just kind of like, oh, I don't, I really don't want to be here. Like, I think maybe, I, I don't mind that angle, but I think that always kind of bugged me that McLean is so, like, down on his luck in this movie. It oh, really? Makes, oh, I love that. Yeah, I, it it's not even something, that's like a personal preference. Like, sure. it's like, it doesn't even, I can even recognize how it works in this movie. There's just something about it that I don't know. It, uh, it kind of it prevents me from really enjoying it or really like loving it. Like I like Zeus more than McLean in this movie. And I think that might be partly that could be the purpose. That could be the point. Um, But I also do like that McTiernan came back for this one. And you can feel it. You can feel his distinct vision, uh, especially, you know, pairing it up uh, right, right side by uh, Rennie Harlan. You know who else he seems to take more, care of are his bad guys jeremy yeah. irons is a fantastic oh, bad jeremy guy. irons he's just wonderful and oh that's yeah. another thing i i like him as simon but i almost just like with the the second movie i almost wish i'd gotten a little bit more with him you oh know? yeah like this, in the same way with Gru- nothing matches gruber i mean that much we've stated mm-hmm. but like jeremy irons is such a great actor that i wish he'd gotten and especially because he's related He's Gruber's brother, which is that again, that feels like a very like, how do we rewrite the script to make it directly connected to Die Hard? Um, But at the same time, I I feel like I wish we'd gotten a little bit more because I feel like Irons is is the kind of actor who could have really had fun with that in a way that he kind of you get hints of it, but he never fully gets his chance to 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 go all out which yeah. bums me out a little bit but yeah there's, there's uh, so i i love this movie there's always been something about the end that always kind of peters out like yeah. i love the first like two-thirds of this the last third just kind of feels like it starts to get a little bit lazy and they don't really know what to do and how to end it and how to have their big climax yeah uh so that's the only part that that takes me out of it but for most of it like i i just i really have a lot of fun with this movie i agree i think the third act especially suffers from a complete disconnection from the first two acts but i do i love like you said it's zeus and mclean they have they have a great relationship i love the fact that i I, there's there's something very exciting and fun about the two of them having to like stick together and run around town and stop defuse all these bombs it's insane and it's that same like these guys are in way over their head feeling that I think is what the what made the original Die Hard work so well and what was kind of missing from Die Hard 2. So I like that Die Hard with a Vengeance brings that back. Um, at the same time, it just doesn't all gel. I give Die Hard with a Vengeance props for okay. trying okay. something else. But what what do we what do we what is our our rating system for Die Hard with a Vengeance? Ooh. Should we Gold do? Bars? How about those? Do you want to do those met, little metal splinters that he uses that he pulls out of his arm to? Oh, that that <laughs> unlock, one. Yeah. How, how uh, many metal well, how splinters? About, how about uh, 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 rolls of quarters? Rolls of quarters. Let's do that. How many rolls of quarters do you give uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance? 
Uh, I'm, I'm teetering between three and a half and four. Okay. But you know what? I'm going to push it p- to four. Okay. Here's why is because I can see Brad wanting to give it four, but he wants to push up his diehard two. uh, like he wants to make that feel a more special. So he's going to pull his diehard with a vengeance back okay. to three and a half. So I'm going to go four just to offset Brad's, uh, three and a half. <laughs> Perfect. I'm going to, I'll do three and a half for this one as well. Cool. Um, and I uh, I think it, it's probably the best. Again, I'm, I'm spoiling future. Go ahead and spoil movies. away. It's it's easily the best sequel. I think it is. I think it is. And um, that brings us to Die Hard 4. This is over a decade later. Um, the Die Hard movie, I remember uh, I, was, I was just, this around this time I was in college and I was really getting into like researching and learning more about productions and movies mm-hmm. And uh, following a lot of Ain't It Cool News stuff. And I remember Die Hard 4 being so surrounded with controversy. Just because, from the fact that I think they announced from the get-go that it was going to be PG-13. Which Mm -hmm. was like a major no-no for Die Hard. Because Die Hard's all about ridiculous violence and insane obscenities. (laughs) And um, it was just, I remember it was like this movie had just kind of this feeling of like, oh God, this is going to suck. And I just was really bummed out about it. And then Justin Long being cast in it, which is so funny because Justin Long seems like a pretty cool guy. But for some reason, him being cast in it, I just remember thinking like, oh no, he's going to be like that annoying sidekick. Mm -hmm. So this movie had so much going against it. And shockingly, I really enjoy. I remember really enjoying it. And even now, even though I don't think it's a great movie, I still kind of like it a lot. I, I think me and you are on the same exact page. I, I remember like kind of thinking this was like a great movie when I first watched it. I think it's pretty good now. Yeah, but same. I still have you know. There's still some stuff that I that I get into it. Um, I think Lynn Wiseman is a very 2000s director yes like he has such like that look he did all the underworld movies yeah 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 uh, which which nothing gets more 2000s than that brad might jump this up to five stars right away but <laughs> you know what I, there's there's something about it where there's some there's some really good like action set pieces uh yes. it does it really starts to get into the um confounding like big magnum opus uh, like stuff that's like, you know, you, you, we, we started off in a, a building with 30 floors and, you know, he's trying to get out of that. And now he's like jumping onto like, you know, uh, yeah. jets. Yes. And this uh, is, this is McLean has become a superhero. This oh, is, absolutely. And that, it, that's, that's definitely what takes, it takes me away. It takes you away. And this one, like, like with a vengeance, feels like it was another script that they repurposed and made a diehard movie. Um, and yeah, the PG thirteen rating kind of hurts it. It you you get the sense of like, oh, McLean is not getting to sort of unleash in the same way, and there is that sense of that. But the truth is, it still feels like it does. You do feel like it's McLean. He you feel like he's in over his head. You got this goofy hackers element that was like dated even back in two thousand seven. Oh man, it, like I I saw I think. Was it you that tweeted out? It was like this movie yeah. immediately dates itself, and it completely does. Like I hate saying that about a movie, but like there's certain movies where like it could be made at no other time in existence. Like Die Hard, the original Die Hard, I feel like it could be made today yes. and come out and feel just as fresh and as lively and as as amazing as always. 
yeah, that, that like premise, the whole fire sale thing. And, uh, you know, it, it seemed like anybody that, that knew HTML, uh, like <laughs> knew a single line was considered a hacker back. Right. Then. <laughs> and it was just kind of like, Oh gosh, we're, we're going there. And especially, you know, it, it really, it felt like the first like, okay, boomer movie. Yes. You yeah. know, that, that, that's, that, that's what this movie is. The first okay. Boomer action movie. It's, it's diehard um, colon. Okay. Boomer that, that what watch. That's what's diehard six is going to be. Yes. Um, <laughs> but here's, here's my theory about Bruce Willis is Bruce Willis was only good when he had hair and it was still very little hair, <laughs> even up to diehard with a vengeance. But as soon as he shaved and went bald, there were only a few roles right around that time, like unbreakable. Right. And I'm trying to think what else there was maybe one or two other roles that he was really good at. And then he just started doing his Bruce Willis thing and shtick, yeah, it never, it never really, you know, did anything for me. And that's, this is the one where it, it started to feel like, um, the only time he really felt like he was going to do something Bruce Willisy it was like, if he starts like muttering to himself, well, John, what are you doing? You know, that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, other than that, I didn't really get, uh, the big Bruce Willis sort of vibe. I wanted him to be even more of a deadbeat because he seemed like he had his act together now. And maybe I just want like I want a really worn down man. You just want the drunk like slob I, that's, that's in Die Hard with a Vengeance. We've got plenty of other like you know heroic you know single dads out there in like every other action movie that came out from the nineties. You know, uh, Van Damme was was a single dad in like every single movie, and then you know Steven Seagal and and you got we got plenty of that give me give me the the loser the real yes. loser that's what i want yeah it, it, how did you feel about his like his daughter playing such a prominent role in the movie did you like that element like did it it felt a little like goofy um because the whole like i gotta get my daughter back feels like such a, a trope for these action oh, it's movies. completely forced but it, but, but know, i it, like mary elizabeth winstead yeah, i thought she was ex- really good in the role and i exactly. loved the moment with, when, with, um, with with mary elizabeth winstead it was watchable and so it's yes. fine yeah um but yeah it, it did nothing for the the script or anything like that but it also it you had to it, she kind of disappears for the first half of the movie and then the second half you have to bring her back because i guess they needed to give McLean some sort of personal motivation for taking sure. out these yeah, guys because yeah, yeah. the whole time he's kind of like uh I don't really care and I think that may be part of the problem with the third movie for me is that there isn't much of a personal reason for him to be involved with anything aside from like the relationship with Gruber but even then it's like it doesn't feel like that drives him he doesn't really want to kill the guy he just wants to stop the guy so in this one i appreciate the effort to make it a personal thing even if it feels forced i also do love the moment where um he like his daughter's kidnapped and timothy oliphant puts her on the phone or the the walkie-talkie and she's like daddy and he goes yeah and she goes now there are only four of them or whatever the (laughs) one is i love that that's such a like that was such a great moment i also shockingly I thought every time I watch this movie, every time I watch it, I think I'm going to be annoyed by Justin Long and I'm never annoyed by Justin Long. No, He's so no. good in this movie. Yeah. He and it's and, the and it is a character that I think in any other actor's hands could have been the really annoying like almost Jar Jar Binks character of the movie, but he is so I think inherently likable and genuine and sincere in the role that it pulls it out of that realm and makes it a character you actually really end up liking and caring about by the end of it yeah he was like that genuine like good-looking nerd that 
you're like you're not really a nerd, but I'll accept you just because <laughs> yes. you are. So you're I um, you and you're, you're 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 pretending to be one of us because I mean this was also the era when where he was doing the the Mac commercials and so he was in the zeitgeist of kind of being like the nerdy guy yeah. of being like the techie guy you know and so it just kind of it kind of fit you know that he was being this hacker you know hacktivist sort of role right um, but. Again, the villain role, Timothy Oliphant, isn't given much to do, but I think he's probably the most boring villain yet. He's just a very, like, dull, like, yes, John, I will hack into everything, and da-da-da. I think that kind of hurts the movie, too. It kind of is just like, all right, we're we're treading out of diehard territory and into kind of generic action movie with Bruce Willis at the center. But, it, again, it doesn't doesn't hurt the movie so tremendously but the villains are definitely kind of lame in this movie anything else i do agree i think the action in this movie is great there's a lot of really great uh the the chase scene like the 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 tunnel scene where he they're like all these cars are driving around and flipping all over them yeah there's a lot of great moments in this movie where i'm like oh my god that was also fantastic you know exactly like what era we're in because there's a guy doing parkour um but there's there's some some really cool shots where like he follows the uh there's like this one cool one where he like follows him uh jumping from one side of the alley to the other and then like you know uh kind of careening down a uh a fire escape and it's a pretty cool shot because it follows him pretty seamlessly and and there's some good stuff that's being shot there so there's still quite a bit i i actually dig about the movie As, as hard as i feel like i'm kind of being about it right now um there's still some enjoyable stuff and i i do just like being around john mcclain even if he's not like the exact mcclain that i want it's still you know a snarky cop you know getting the job done yeah it's not quite a diehard movie but it's like a good action movie yeah 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 yeah. and uh and it still works for me so i um i guess we'll say how many on a scale of uh one to five what dated hacker movies <laughs> dated hacking hacktivists how many hacktivists would you give uh live free or die hard oh i feel like i'm teetering between two and a half and three on this one okay. but uh be- because because i'm a positive guy i'm going three okay yeah i think i'll give this one i'll give this one three two i i think this could be a three and a half for me but it does still it's kind of just forgettable at the end of the day. And you want a diehard movie to be more memorable. Yeah. Um, and speaking of forgettable diehard movies, let's talk about a good day to die hard. Die hard five. This is the Dude, first I mean, we time could, we I, could just in the podcast right here. We don't have to talk about it. Oh, we can do. All okay, right. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in. Uh, we hope you enjoyed. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is, this is the first one that I, I had not seen before. This, I, uh, I, I rented this. this just for you. And it was, it was, it was I'm a so painful, sorry. it was a painful moment. Cause I have my, um, the, the diehard 25th anniversary Blu-ray collection, which has one through four. Same. And, um, so that was, that was great. And then I was like, Oh wait, I still have to watch a fifth one. <laughs> I had the same react. I had the same realization. I was like, Oh damn it. I have to actually pay money to, uh, to check out good day to die hard. Yeah. Um, it was not a good day to die hard yeah. for, for that movie. Yeah. Um, I have no that, idea what was going on in this movie. Like, I, I, I don't either. I, I couldn't tell you. There was a period of time, I think about like some somewhere between the second and third act where it was just like focusing on the villain. And I was, it, it felt like, has it been like an hour since Bruce Willis was on screen? And like, this is what like is the happening? shortest one, I think by far. I think it's only like 90 minutes or 98 minutes. And it's it felt like it was going on forever. 
Oh, no joke. So my wife, uh, she had to go get some groceries. Uh-huh. And I thought the movie feels so long that she left the room. And I was just watching and watching. And she came back and I was like, oh, hey, welcome back. And she goes, I haven't even left yet. It's only been 10 minutes. That is, <laughs> I'm not joking. That actually happened. That is exactly how bad this movie is. That is that it feels so much longer than like the 97 minute length it is but like beyond so the fourth movie i think had every right to be bad and it's not yeah this movie it's like from the start it's just bad yeah and it's also you know you have john moore the director who has only directed garbage yep. like uh, i mean well behind enemy lines is okay i mm-hmm. never saw flight of the phoenix but the omen remake no. max Payne. Yeah. like talk about like a terrible terrible action movie and then it's written by skip woods who again like he'd written swordfish and he'd done some writing on live free or die hard but he'd also done x-men origins wolverine and hitman and the a-team see so it's i didn't like even he... look into what he did those movies well, Brad will tell you A-Team is, is uh, uh, a work of art, but everything <laughs> else that you just mentioned, Swordfish is abysmal, X-Men Origins Wolverine is abysmal. Like, there's nothing good there. Like, he... I, first off, I, I, I knew I couldn't look up somebody with the first name that went by Skip, and <laughs> apologies if you're listening and your name is Skip, but I just don't trust you as a human. Yeah, um, unless it's my dog, Skip. Yeah, uh, I don't, yeah. I don't if, if you're a dog, that. you're probably the best dog in the in the whole kennel. But uh, <laughs> as for a as for a screenwriter, uh, I, I don't know. Just go change your name, please. Please uh, do that. This yeah. was just so confusing. Um, like th- the bad guy was, they're trying to capture the bad guy by John's son goes in and gets arrested in order to break him out. But the the other bad guys break him out instead, and so they just you know piggyback on that. <sighs> Then there's a and point then McLe- where, like, so McLean McLean goes to Russia because he hears his son's arrested, and he's like, "I gotta go save my son." And I again, I don't. So the fourth movie tries to suggest that like there's an estranged relationship between John and his kids. Yeah. But by the end of Die Hard Four, his relationship with his daughter is salvaged. Right. And you would think that would extend to his son, but I guess for some reason they were like, "Oh no, his son hates him." Yeah. And that is also like sorry so we're doing this kind of the same movie as yeah. the fourth movie but yeah. like also without any semblance of creativity or charm this movie is such a like first of all it, it as we were saying it, the the movie looks like garbage yeah. it is so poorly shot there's so there's this one moment where it's like a bunch of people in like a, a born identity room where they're like commenting like we got to find where, where this guy's going and they've got all the maps up the camera just arbitrarily zooms in and out I guess to to create the sense of what intensity or excitement and it just became it gave me a headache I was so like frustrated but the movie is so like absent anything exciting any element of inspiration but more importantly it's not funny and diehard movies are always fun or yeah funny. there's not there's not a line of dialogue that that I could tell you like that I that I recall that made me chuckle that made me do anything but like roll my eyes or like just like say why did he say that or like what's going on like the, i i was does I was, he does he even say yippee ki in this movie i don't uh 
They it, even said it in a PG thirteen movie. Like I mean, they they sh- they the gunshot masks it, but I don't think he says it in this movie. Yeah, I don't think so. I, they use oh, it on that, the uh, the oh. promo thing. Yeah, the, which the, is the, pro- great... the promo was YPKA Mother Russia. That yeah, that that's was the best thing part of this movie. movie. That's that's easily the most creative thing they came up with yeah. for this movie. Um, I think that's the biggest. Thing. So the movie is like is a generic action movie that that has it's barely very a generic very... action movie. Like there's there's not even like just good action set pieces. No, like, you're right. There really is. The only thing I remember is like the the final action shot of like the helicopter falling down as they're falling down. That's kind of cool, but yeah. Also, some also cool completely doesn't flips. make sense. But but it the, the, but they're doing it. Yeah, there's some cool car flips like when uh, earlier in the movie, but I just like from the beginning, it was like one of those movies where you just would rather be sleeping. Yeah, like by like it, it reminded me a lot of the Nightmare on Elm Street reboot, where you just are like, this is just a miserable viewing experience. Yeah, why, and why everyone seems are... miserable. Yeah, um, this is also the the only Die Hard movie where you know with Die Hard uh, with a Vengeance and Live Free or Die Hard. It felt like they took two random scripts and repurposed them as Die Hard movies, like uh-huh. to shove John McClane in there. This is the first Die Hard movie where it not only feels like they took a completely random script and turned it into a Die Hard movie, but they also forgot to put John McClane in the movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like Bruce Willis is just playing miserable Bruce Willis. Oh, yeah. There's no John McClane in here. Like, like if there was... I mean, th- th- I, I, I just don't understand this movie. This is... there. There's nothing... I've I've got zero good things to say about this movie. Yeah, Jai Courtney is kind of miserable and He's terrible. Jai Courtney, and Jai bless. Yeah, I yeah, I, it's just yeah. I don't think that we need to say anything more about it. Really, it's not a good day to die hard. Can we it, go back it, to it Die really Hard One? Isn't. Yeah, let's just go back to Die Hard One right, and just talk good. about that. Yeah. I, I what is is there a rating system even that we can come up with for this? Oh, gosh, uh, I don't know. What's a Russian thing? I don't even remember any Russian things in here. Like no, it Cher- doesn't even feel Russian. A, a Chernobyl? Can we do a Chernobyl? <laughs> can we just do Mother Russia's? Can we just take the tagline? Let's do Mother Russia. The tagline's the only insp- inspired part. Let's do it. How many Mother Russia's would you give this movie? It gets one Mother Russia for making it to the screen. Congratulations. Yes, one hundred percent. I I give it one Mother Russia as well. Um, that what a sad way to end the Die Hard movies. And I don't think this is a franchise that needs to keep going. This is not James Bond. This is not Rambo. Like it, it even Rambo shouldn't have kept going. But like, no, agreed, agreed. But here's uh, in in true, uh, you know, Hollywood fashion, the prequel I believe is at least announced as of oh last year. They had announced a prequel, which I believe was based off a comic book. That came out at some point, and I believe Lynn Weisman uh, is attached. And of course, in true, uh, you know, old man action movie uh, uh, lore, you call it McLean. And uh, who knows what's going to happen? But but you know, we'll, we'll we'll see. I can tell you what one thing that will happen is I will be miserable, and I will probably not be seeing it. I'll probably be miserable, but guess what? I probably will be seeing it because I watch every <laughs> stupid piece of crap out there. Well, if we see it, we'll reunite and we'll yes. talk about it. Done. I just realized did we not did we not give Brad's ratings for Live uh, Live Free or Die Hard or this one? Um, no, we did Live Free. No, we didn't do Live Free or Die Hard. So I, uh, what do you think? I think Brad would probably give it two and a half as well for Live Free or Die Hard. 
You know what? He's a huge Justin Long fan, so he's going to give that four and a half stars. All right, okay. Uh, four and a half whatever's we uh hackers. Yeah. Hacker hacktivists. Uh you know what? I think I think he's going to he's going to be uh I think he's going to be that kind of that he's going to be a that guy and he's going to say, "You know what, guys? This wasn't all that bad. I think it, it got a bad rap uh, when it first oh, came man. out." So I give it three mother rushes. Brad, not only do you not show up for this episode, but you're going to give three. I can't believe this. Th- that just pains me. But he, um, he also said it's in his top 100 movies of all time. I think that that makes sense. And yep. it's, it's a shame. It's That's a real something, shame. That is something he would say. <laughs> so what are our final thoughts on the Die Hard series as a whole? Looking at it as a whole, what do you think this contributes to the action scene? To the, to the action scene, it, it contributes everything everything that that we especially you know the, the two of us we're, we're relatively the same age and so growing up and feeding off of like 90s action movies it it was the blueprint for everything that we saw and uh so it, it has so much to offer to us and i mean it it follows a a really uh kind of similar path that a lot of franchises take where yeah. you know there's a, a significant dip in quality and you know uh, uh studios get involved there is going to be that one movie you know usually usually the third fourth or fifth movie in there that's like oh wow no this one's actually pretty good there's some there's some really good stuff in here for me yeah. that's number three and that that really works for me um and of course it usually dies at the very end and suffers a miserable death and yeah. then will be resurrected it, it, I, this is all repetitive we, we're we're living in a time loop uh, life doesn't matter merry christmas <laughs> i think i think one of the big takeaways from this series is that the diehard movies are a perfect example of a franchise that really only needed one movie and then just kept going yeah and thankfully in some ways found some creative workarounds but in a lot of ways there didn't need to be more than one diehard movie <laughs> and i think right watching through all these movies again um they i was i i wasn't truly miserable except for the fifth one they are all passably yeah. entertaining some more so than others but it just reminded me of how kind of like you know, just because you have a hit movie, I know that is immediately a sign, like the the studio C dollar signs. But like Die Hard is such a perfect standalone movie. In some ways, I would tell people who might not have seen the others, I would just be like, I, you know, just leave it with Die Hard. You don't really need to see anything else. Yeah, but we're we're, we're never gonna gonna have that. We're never gonna have just like no. a single one off anything movie you know it, it's there's always going to be something sequelized in, in one way or another and so we just kind of have to live with it and and enjoy when something good does come around and we're gonna have to uh, live like, free like you said, and die hard yeah like like you said when when uh th- there was really only one movie that i just like was rolling my eyes at and and i ha- and i paid for it i paid extra money for it you see what you did to me <laughs> It was all worth it for the art it was. of podcasting. Do it anything all for the podcast. Well, Aaron, this has been, I, I think I'm filled with, with Christmas spirit and, and cheer and joy. And it's all thanks to you. But really, it's all thanks to the greatest Christmas movie of all time, Die Hard. That's, yeah, that's true. It it, it, it truly is. It's a, it's a, it's a miracle. Uh, check, check my letterboxed, uh, 
review. Yeah, to- if you need a, a quick reference to to combat the the morons out there who would dare say that this isn't a Christmas movie, just check out Aaron's letterboxd review and you have that list right there right there to help you out and that's that's it i i had a great time aaron tell the good people at home where they can find you on the internet tell them about rest in pictures podcast give them all the deets absolutely uh you can find me at a cool hand fluke on twitter instagram letterboxd i'm I'm always on there uh writing reviews and doing stuff uh but you can find uh the missing brad gullickson who you can find at mouthwork i'm even gonna plug him because because we're still friends even if he <laughs> loves uh live for your diehard you can find him at mouthwork on all social medias but you can find us both at rest in pictures uh we're a podcast that we talk about uh when when somebody in hollywood uh has passed away and we just like really dive into what they provided to the the art you know, to the, to the media that we love the most. What, what did they provide to cinema? And so uh, our last episode, we, we focused on Robert Forster. That was a great episode, uh, but we've done everybody. I, I'd say if, if you're looking for my three favorite episodes to go back and listen to, uh, check out our Agnes Varda episode, uh, the Shinobu Hashimoto episode and uh robbie mueller who was uh, an amazing cinematographer and it's, it's a lot of fun so find us at at rest in pictures and uh subscribe and and uh listen away do all of the above it's it's excellent and uh find me at yay sean doorman on twitter find me on instagram at sean doorman and uh hit us up let us know what you think about the diehard movies uh what do you think about brad's rankings those seem really really odd to me so make sure to go, go at, after at him and and yeah. um if if you if you love a good day to die hard go follow mouth dork and if you hate <laughs> a good day to die hard unfollow him I think it's fair. Yeah, that seems fair. But uh, thank you so much for listening. I I hope everyone out there has a Merry Christmas. Aaron, I hope you have a Merry Christmas. And uh, now that we have the machine guns, ho, 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 all I have to say is yippee-ki-yay, Captain Falcon. When we finally kiss goodnight, how I hate going out in the storm. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. But if you really hold me tight. All the way home I'll be warm The fire is slow It is Ryan here and I have a question for you What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus.